Hello and welcome to the HIPAA show where we discuss all things HIPAA compliance and the cloud. My name is Adam Zenadine and I'm joined today by CTO and founder of HIPAA Vault, Gil Vidal's. Hi Gil. Hey Adam, looking forward to this podcast. Absolutely. So last week um, we talked a little bit about web tra website tracking and analytics and this week we're going to talk about containerization. We're going to go through uh, what containerization is, uh, some of the tools and platforms that are used for containerization, uh, maybe make some comments about the security surrounding containerization and provide some real world examples of um, projects that have benefited from containerization. So I said containerization there four or five times already, Gil. Uh, maybe we, to, to get us started, could you give us an idea of what containerization is, what containers are, as a like, other than just being big metal boxes that get loaded with goods and <laughs> stuffed on a, a big ship? Yeah, you know, this technology world's hard to keep up with, even for us in it. There's so much technology coming out. It seems it's it's uh, increasing at, at a faster rate. So. For our audience that isn't technical, I'm sure at some point it, it kind of goes over their head. So I like to explain it to our audience um, in this way. So when you go back 20 years ago and you talked about applications on a computer, you literally were talking about a computer that was located in a data center. So there's a, like what we call them pizza boxes at that time. There's slender computers, you slide them into a rack, but they were a real computer. Okay. So that was, that was 20, 30 years ago. Then the invention came along of virtualizing the server itself. So instead of having one application for every pizza box computer on a rack, you could take one beefier computer and then split that up into say like 30 or 40 or 50 applications. So they all took a little piece of the, of the action, a little bit of CPU and RAM. And that virtualization meant that you had a virtual machine. So that was the next level above physical. Then you have virtual machines and then containers came along. So what containers did is they, they took the virtual machine and the virtual machine was really a mirror of the physical machine, one-to-one -one property. So if the physical machine had a USB port, the virtual machine has a USB port. If you have a directory for an application, you'd have the same thing in the other one. So it's very much one-to-one. -one. So the virtual machine, other than the fact that it was virtual, was kind of a heavy a heavy object because it had everything the physical one had. So a container stripped off all the unnecessary things that weren't needed to support a specific application. They stripped it all down. So it's still like a virtual machine, but it's very, very light, very light, it takes a lot less resources. The other idea behind a container is that it's more portable. You can, you can easily port it to different environments. And it's scalable, meaning that you could launch many of these containers if you needed to scale your application. So it was just a natural evolution from hardware to virtual machine to container. And the containers are used in environments like Kubernetes and Docker Swarm and different environments. But it really is the next iteration that we're currently seeing today. That, that That's a... That's actually the, the best explanation I've, I've heard of it. And I've been researching this for a couple of weeks. So thanks for that. Um, you mentioned Kubernetes and Docker there. Uh, the next thing that we we're going to touch on is the tools that are used for containerization. So 
Could you maybe touch a little bit on Docker and then Kubernetes and you know how popular they are and what they're used for when it comes to containerization? Sure, sure. So the the containers are standalone. So you have a container, and let's let's think of an specific example. Let's say you want a container that's running WordPress. So it's a very streamlined, very thin container. It all, all it knows how to do is run WordPress, which is a web service. So that, that's good for that container. It serves its purpose. It's a, it's a light um, object. But then let's say you want to manage, say you're a company that wants to manage not just one of these containers, but a thousand of them or even 10,000. So that at some point that becomes complicated because you, you know, how are you going to manage all these? So there is an invention called Kubernetes, which did exactly that. It's a way to manage a cluster of containers. And at a high level, that means you can destroy a container. You can create a new one. You could launch 20 of them. You could put them to sleep and suspend them. You could migrate them from one zone from the East Coast to the West Coast. So Kubernetes, just think about that as, as cluster management, managing big groups of these containers. Now, for our specific audience, you might say, well, that's not very interesting. You know, if you're a medical practitioner or you're a small hospital, you may not need all of this clustering. So clustering, when, when would you need that? Well, you could need it for a couple of reasons. One is if you have very sensitive information, it has to be up all the time. You may want to split your your resources. So you have some of your containers on the East coast, some on the West. So if something happens, there's a flood or big problem. You can say, well, those containers went bye-bye, but these are still good and everything still operates. So it's good for business continuity. They call it BCDR business continuity and disaster recovery. So that's one, one way to think about it. The other way to think about it is if you had an application, let's say you're a healthcare app developer and you've developed an app that's really going crazy it's becoming so popular so at first just having a couple of containers is good but now you're getting traffic even on a saturday night you're getting traffic so you would want to have these containers that can that can be created automatically it's called auto scaling so that you can have this cluster management launch an extra 10 or 20 and then at night when the traffic slows down, it will destroy some of these containers to save money so that you're not paying for all these resources that you don't need in the evening. So that's the other way. But so containers can be used that way. And then Docker, Docker has a, a, a management system and that's the container um, system. The container engine is called Docker and you can you can use that more on a, on a simplistic, you know, where you only have maybe a few containers. Okay. So I think, I think those Docker are the environments. There's something to do with like a, a Docker file, right? That's a script that allows you to load that container with whatever good stuff application wise. Yeah. And these containers, by the way, in the end, they sound very fancy, but in the end it's a file. I mean, literally mm -hmm. it's a file. It's a file that's that you could take and copy around and stuff. Now, once the file is, Put in the right environment, it gets it becomes alive and it can do a lot of good work for you. But um, would, so it, would it be right to say a container is like a running process, like a, a process that's actually running, as opposed to yes. just an image? Yeah, a it's file. a process. It's a running process that consumes a portion of the underlying machine, CPU and RAM. You you, you allocate 
a certain amount of RAM, CPU, disk space. And then within that apportionment, you are able to run your services there, your application, whether it could be a database service, could be a web service. I think the other thing that the worthwhile mentioning, um, Adam, is that containers are specialty items. So in the world of computers that I mentioned, those, those two phases where you used to have computers and then virtual machines, those are very generalized systems. You could put anything on a computer, right? You could put a database, whatever. Containers aren't like that. You're usually specialized. You say, I want this container to only serve WordPress, or I want this container to only run this, this database called MySQL or Maria, and I want this container to only be a firewall. I don't want it to do anything else. So they're very, they're like specialty systems. And that's what makes them, that's part of why they're lightweight because you strip off all the other junk you don't need that consumes resources. So by the nature of them being specialty and focused, they become more narrow, more skinny and more lean. Okay. And on the list of benefits I've got here, one of them is that containers are backwards compatible often. Um, what, what does that mean exactly when it comes to containers? Well, I think when we talk about compatibility, containers are very flexible. They can run on many different platforms. So they can run on, say, a Google platform. You can take it and transfer it to Amazon and they'll run on Amazon, or you could take them and run them on Microsoft Azure. You could run them on your desktop computer. You could run them on your laptop if you have the right Docker. So that's what we mean by being cross-platform compatible. Uh, and I think that's really what you're talking about. Backwards compatibility is a different um, thing. But to do backwards with versions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, backwards compatibility <laughs> means that you're trying to run the same container on maybe an older platform. Um, okay. Now that, that, I mean, that may be the case, but it might not necessarily be great for the security aspects of, of, um, of running your uh, application. Right. So that leads me on a little bit to talk about the benefits when it comes to security. I've got here noted that containers allow for greater isolation, which can be a benefit for security control, um, control and visibility, and then portability, which you already mentioned. So maybe you could flesh out a little bit more on the ability to isolate and then the control that you get when using containers. Yeah, the, there is a security benefit in the container. So one of those is that you can, you can take a container and you set the permissions so that it, it can only be accessed by certain processes and certain individuals. Um, the other advantage the container has is containers are static. What do I mean by static? Well, the container's running, but if you you could destroy the container and recreate the container, and it'll show up again running the way it was before. So if there's an attack or an attacker that did some damage, uh, they came in and they they somehow they got into the container, let's say worst case scenario, well, you don't, you could simply destroy the container mm. and then recreate it. So that, that has certain advantages to being able to do that. Of course, the best scenario is not to allow anyone, you know, into the container. The container can also be, you can have these hashes where you can say, this is what the container looks like when we know nobody's gotten into it. It's a, it's a new container. It's running well. 
you can take these hashes and then calculate later if somebody does change something that you're not aware of, like somebody did something, you could be notified and the container can automatically redeploy and can get rid of that change and go back to its, uh, to its previous state in which everything was operating well. So you can, you can go back and recreate containers very, very easily, which you can't do with uh, obviously physical hardware. You can't do that. And even with virtual machines, that's not so easy to do. So containers have that advantage of being able to die and revive very quickly. Okay. I think a question that comes up a lot, certainly when now application owners or developers are, are looking into this is virtualization or containerization and what applications, you know, containerization would play a better role in versus virtualization. Um, I know at this section, we, we were going to come on to like a real world example of containerization. So maybe a use case would help uh, clarify that for our listeners and viewers. So um, without mentioning any names, could you, could you run us through a little bit? Um, maybe one of our customers that came to us with a problem and was able to solve it with containerization? Yeah, yeah. Let's go through an example. That's a good way to to think about that. I did want to mention one thing that came up or that I didn't mention when you talked about security when it comes to containers is that because the containers are a stripped down focused application, the it's what's called the attack surface is smaller. So mm. you don't have all this unnecessary baggage that the bad guys could take advantage of and hack into a system, if you eliminate lots of the complexity of a system, then there's a lot less area for them to try to penetrate an attack. So one, one example that we have is we, we have a customer that has a medical application that has sensitive data and things were going well for them. They had their, their customers, their end users using their application and they they grew over time and they got to the point where they needed to add more resources the old style way we had more ram and more cpu and the, it grows but then they got to a point where they said look this is this is working okay but they had a they had a project that would require growth of 100x so not 10 times but 100 times more traffic and they and we discussed it as a team and we came to the realization that just throwing more and more RAM and CPU, of course, is not going to solve everything. You have to break this project into smaller pieces. So essentially what that means is we asked the development team to containerize their application. And so now instead of having a single virtual machine or a couple of beefy virtual machines, now we have these containers that are lightweight that run their application, and then we can put those into a cluster of containers and we can auto scale them. So when the traffic starts to go way up in the morning, these containers are launched and it's able to handle the traffic. When the traffic slows down at lunchtime, the containers are destroyed. And then when it builds up after lunch, the containers build and then at night they go down. And so it's a very flexible system. On top of that, they wanted uh, something called CI, CD, continuous integration, continuous development, which is a whole nother topic, but containers are very good for that environment for doing CI, CD as well. But 
in the yeah, end you mentioned development good... team there so it right. that automatically in my brain i'm thinking well that's a that's a team so that's a lot of people a lot of moving parts that are constantly updating and improving the application mm -hmm. that's right yeah. Uh, so, so that was a good story, right? How they took their application that was a uh, one or two systems and then containerized it. And I think that that is something that we're going to see more and more of as we move forward, because the development teams are getting more and more comfortable with containers and they are seeing the benefits of using them. And then finally, if we go back slightly to the original part of the beginning of the the episode where we said other than being a you know a container that goes on a ship if we do imagine the container that goes on a ship you know in the 50s and 60s containerization became a thing in shipping and it saved a heck of a lot of time in terms of loading getting getting the goods onto the ship and getting the goods off the ship I think it used to take on average to load one of the, the equivalents of one of those big containers. It used to take eight days to get the goods on the ship and eight days to get it off uh, versus obviously just a crane loading the container on and off, which is what happens now. So are there kind of equivalents, you know, 10Xs, 100Xs improvements in efficiency with, with containers in an application sense? Yes, I, I don't know the efficiency or, or how many times better it is now that it's noticeably better. There's a term in the technical world called orchestration engineering, mm -hmm. and that's what the orchestration engineer does. You know, you, you picture an orchestra, you know, playing the director of a, of an orchestra. And so the orchestration, what it does is it, it's the architecture of having these containers and being able to, uh, design the architecture so certain containers that have certain functionality are going to come alive and scale up at certain times and they have to integrate and work together. Um, yeah. So so orchestration is something that containers are good at because, they, again, they're so light, lightweight, they're much more scalable. Um, so I, I don't know the efficiency change, but it's it's noticeably improved. Fantastic. I'd, I'd like to invite the listeners and viewers to let us know um, if they have experienced containerizing their application or if they're considering it. Um, what are some of the, the things that they're contemplating in the considerations? Uh, please let us know in the comments or reach out to us at podcast.hippoball.com and we'll be uh, happy to answer any questions you might have. Gil, was, was there anything else you wanted to cover? Well, you know, our podcast is devoted to things that are related to HIPAA and technology. So I, I do want to say that in the environments where you're running containers, which are typically AWS or Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, that there are uh, different ways of configuring the security around the containers. So if you want to go down that route, and you have the expertise and you, you have to be conscientious about enabling the different features within the environment you're in to make sure that your environment will be HIPAA compliant. So it's a long way around of saying just because you're in a big company's cloud doesn't automatically mean that it's HIPAA compliant. You have to have a compliance manager that can run 
scans. You have to know which configuration settings to enable and get everything running so that it is HIPAA compliant. We, we help customers do that as well. So if you find yourself in that kind of situation, you can always reach out to us. Absolutely. And you can check us out at hippavault.com. Um, there's a bunch of really interesting blogs, articles, and information sources there. So please do that. Um, so that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, uh, let us know. Hippavault.com. You can reach us out, reach out to us by email at podcastinghippavault.com um, or on Twitter at hippahosting. Uh, make sure to also uh, subscribe and leave us a review if you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for stopping by.